Thank you, John. All right. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're, we feel like we're battling everything to get here this year. Um, pandemic, then a uh, little ice on the road. I drove in from Shawnee last night. I got here about 9.30, and uh, not a, not a, nothing on the roads, clear as it could be, until I got just in downtown Enid, and then it was a little slick down there, and I thought, well, some people might be a little hesitant to get out this morning, but 8 o'clock... I'm glad to see you here, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, it's Every year, I think, I was trying to figure yesterday, how many years have I been coming? I looked through some things, couldn't, couldn't find the first year I came, but I do remember that uh, my children were very small, and my youngest son, who's now 15, I think was maybe, had just been born maybe like a year, so I think I've been coming about 14 consecutive years uh, to do this uh, study, and I was thinking about what have we studied. I know we did two, um, two different years on Luke's gospel. We did uh, the, the section up to the passion narrative in Luke, and then we did the passion narrative another year. Uh, I know we've done Romans. I know we've done First and Second Corinthians in two different years study. I know we've done Galatians. We've done Colossians. Um, we've done First Peter. We've done James, we've done Jeremiah, uh, we're going to do the Psalms this year, we've done a couple, another Old Testament book at least, so um, I mean I don't know that I'm going to make it 66 years, but, but we're, we're, we're covering a pretty good chunk of the New Testament and some of the Old, so I'm glad to be back. And uh, this year it is the Psalms, so obviously we're not going to cover 150 Psalms, uh, but we're, and, and that's not the study. It's not a study of all the Psalms. Uh, the study this year is the character of God in the Psalms. So this morning I want to talk about singing the blues. Uh, but most of what we're going to focus on is what do we learn about the nature and the character and the attributes of God from the Psalms. So that's going to be uh, the focus of what we do. I'm going to do tonight more of an introduction to the Psalms and set out uh, some of the attributes of God that I think... We find there, but I did want to do just a little bit of an introduction. We're going to look at Psalm 39 specifically in a few moments, but just as a little introduction to the Psalms, uh, the, the, the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 songs, poems, uh, and um, um, psalms, poems, and prayers. And I think you'll find that they're the most popular section of the Old Testament for Christians to read. In fact, I've got on my shelf, I looked one day this week on my office shelf, I've got a number of New Testaments that's just the New Testament and the Psalms. So isn't that odd or interesting that you'd have a New Testament? One, I'm not a big fan of separating old and new and, and just carrying around a New Testament because it's all Scripture. Uh, but if you were going to pick one section of the Old Testament to include with the New Testament, to, to print a leather-bound version, that you would include the Psalms. And I think it's pretty evident that uh, of the Old Testament books, it's the most popular for Christians to read. So what's the appeal of the Psalms? Why do we like reading the Psalms so much as Christians, as followers of Jesus? And I think it's, one reason is obvious it's inspired scripture. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed, and therefore it is profitable for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness, so that the person of God uh, might be equipped, fully equipped for every good work. So it has the appeal that it is God-breathed Scripture. Like, like anything I'm going to come and teach in January Bible study, we're only going to do canonical biblical books. It's one of those. So it has its appeal because it's Scripture. But it's more than that. What, we could say that about any Old Testament book, but why is this one getting attached to the New Testament? And I think at the heart of it, we like the Psalms because there's something unique about them. Every other part of Scripture is God speaking to human beings through a prophet, say Jeremiah, we've done that, through Moses, and in some instances even handing it to Moses, you know, already written on the tablets, just here it is. You think about the New Testament writings, uh, Paul may be writing a letter, and we think about God inspiring Paul. So the flow of the revelation is coming from God through a human being to his people. The flow is from God downward to us. But when you come to the Psalms, you have human beings expressing themselves to God. Now the flow is from us to God. Well, not you and I, but ancient Israelites expressing themselves to God in, in all types of songs and prayers and poems. So the flow is from down up to God, and yet it's still inspired Scripture. And so what we find here are the experiences, the emotions of God's people for about a 600-year period expressing themselves in the full gamut of human experience. We're going to find psalms of praise, hymns of praise in the psalms. We, we, uh, John led us in several of those in what we sang this morning. Psalm 150, what a beautiful expression. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And there's a, a, a number of the, the psalms that we find are expressions of praise to God. What do we do in the good times? What do we do when we feel good? What do we do when life's going well? Well, it's easy to give praise to God in those times. There are hymns of thanksgiving where somebody's been through the fire. Somebody's been through the pandemic. Somebody's been through the, the disaster. Somebody's been through the sickness or the illness. And God has brought them through, and they give thanks to God for what he's done. But there are also laments. In fact, more than 60 of the psalms are classified as lament psalms. Now, this is what people do when they're honest with God and they're in the fire. When they're honest with God and they've been diagnosed with COVID and they're feeling awful. Or even worse, a family member's diagnosed with cancer, or a son or a daughter has mental health issues, or a loved one has a stroke, or any number of these kinds of life experiences that just make you feel like you're in the pit. What do you do then? Well, maybe you force a smile on your face and just sing happy songs, but when we do that, we're not doing what the Bible has shown us to do. We can lament. We can cry out to God and express our genuine and true emotions to God. And God can take it. God can handle it. 
I know that, I mean, we want to be courteous. We, we, we don't want to look like we're out of line. We don't want to look like we're stepping outside the boundaries of how we ought to speak to God. But the truth is, when we read the Psalms, we hear God's people expressing their true and authentic and honest emotions to God. And why are they there? Are they there to show people with bad attitudes so we won't do the same? 60 plus psalms of lament crying out to God, in some instances shaking their fist at God? Why are they there? I think they're there to show us an appropriate way to express ourselves to God when that's the way we feel. You can't hide it from God. You're going to be angry and, and maybe even feeling this way towards God and, and just put a you know grin and bear it and, and say, let everything that has breath praise the Lord and think God doesn't know what's really in your heart. So what's the best way to get to praise? When you're in the darkness, when you're in the pit, when the water's rising above your head. It's to be honest. Pour out your emotions to God. And their true feelings, they're expressing them to God in praise, in thanksgiving, and in lament. And there are some other types of songs but in, in the Psalms, in the 150, but that's the vast majority are in those three categories. And they can do it as individuals, and they can do it as a community. These Psalms can be individual praises or the community's praise. It can be an individual lament, which we're going to look at now, or it can be a community lament where they say, there by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. That's Israel as a nation. So individually, corporately, they cry out to God honestly. Let me express a few laments here from the Psalms, just to, so you be aware. It's easy to just sort of not notice them, even though they're so prominent. Psalm 3 says, We hear, we, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. You might recognize Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, we might recognize that one because Jesus says that from the cross, but he's quoting Psalm 22.1. He also quotes Psalm 31.5 and another of the sayings from the cross, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Two of the seven sayings from the cross are quotes from lament psalms. Psalm 31, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress my eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body is wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man. Terror is on every side." Psalm 88, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul has had enough troubles and my life has drawn near to the grave. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. 
I become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? You've removed lover and friend far from me. Darkness is my closest friend. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt free to express that to God? The psalmist certainly did. And it's not just the psalmist. We have laments in the prophets. We looked at several of Jeremiah's laments two years ago. Jeremiah 15 I'm just going to pull a little little slide section out of there, and this is the Kelly translation, so it's a little little contemporized, but I think this captures the heart of it. God, I did everything you asked me to, but it now appears you've just given me constant pain, refused to take it away, and you've proved yourself to be deceitful. Eesh. That looks like maybe you're outside the bounds, and yet... Here's the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 20, around verse 7. God, you've conned me. You made me a laughingstock. Your word is a cause of ridicule and rejection. Cursed be the day I was born. It would have been better if I died in the womb or my mother murdered than to live this life. Now, he was in ministry for 40 years. 40 years of prophecy. I'm not surprised he felt that way from time to time. But what strikes me is the willingness of the psalmist or Jeremiah to say that to God and that it becomes part of God's inspired word. God wants us to hear his lament. And then, of course, Job is the classic. We think Job was patient. You know, my grandmother used to say he had the patience of Job. And it's true, you read the first couple of chapters of Job, and then the last chapter of Job, and it looks like he's patient. But in between, there are lots of poems, poetry, where he's crying out to God. He's lamenting, even as early as Job 3. May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said, a boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no rest, no turmoil. Or nothing, only turmoil. Now, man... I'm thinking at this point, or you might be thinking, well, okay, we're in a bad enough mood now. You can get on with the sermon. Because we're more comfortable with like this. And I'm going to sing and you can join me. Okay? You ready? You'll recognize this song. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. Now that's a lot more comfortable. Now I'll tell you, there's a lot of great theology in that song. I'm, I, I, that's good theology and, I, and I'm all about it. 
At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, where the burden of my heart rolled away. Amen. That's true. I'm down with that whole (laughs) verse. Except that last line. And now I am happy all the day. It's much more comfortable to think that's true. To act that way. You're down in the pit. You pull yourself together, you get yourself up on a cold, blustery morning in Enid, you get yourself here, and you pass somebody out in the hallway coming in here, and they say, how you doing? And you're in the pit. You're thinking, it's a miracle that I'm sitting here this morning. And the last thing you're thinking is, man, I'm happy this morning. And somebody says, how you doing? And you put a smile on your face and say, great. Because that's kind of what we expect everybody to do. We think, well, nobody wants to really hear my problems. And if you pulled somebody aside and told them how you're really feeling, you know, they might step back with eyes big and their hair may stand on end and say, well, I wasn't asking for all that. Maybe we can't always say that to one another. But we can always say it to God. And I, and I would say any songbook that doesn't make a place for laments is not worth its salt. Because lamenting is what the Bible has shown us. This is part of how we can sing songs to God. So how about Psalm 39? Here's one of those lament psalms. And I promise you, we're not going to just do lament psalms this week. We're going to do like one night on laments. We're going to look at other types of psalms and what else they say about God. But what do the laments teach us about God? They teach us that God is a God that we can trust even in the darkness. Our God is a God that we can trust even when we're in the pit Our God is a God we can trust even when we feel like the waters are rising above our head. And so we hear Psalm 39, which begins with a failed attempt attempt at silence. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. But my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. Now here's an expression of someone who's in the pit, who's not feeling happy all the day, But who feels like nobody probably wants to hear it. And so I'm just going to keep silent. I'm not going to say a thing. I'll grit my teeth if I have to. And I'll smile through gritted teeth. But I'm not going to say how I feel. And I'm certainly not going to to talk about God or the bad situation he's put me in when I'm among the people who don't even believe in God. I'm not going to do it out there amongst the wicked. 
I'm not going to do it among the people of God, and I'm certainly not going to do it out there because, you know, you never turn your back on the family. It's almost like a Godfather Sopranos, you know, don't ever turn your back on the family. Well, I'm never going to turn my back on, on the family of God. Among the wicked, I'm not going to say all the bad things that I might be thinking about my situation and about what God's doing and putting me here. So I'll just keep it down. I'll just be silent, and I'll not say anything, and I'll just grin and bear it. And he says, that's what, so that's what I decided to do, but I had this little problem. It was, it was rising up inside of me, all these emotions, all these negative emotions, all these, these feelings of lament. They're bubbling up inside like a, like a geyser about to explode. And so then finally, I decided I'll have to speak with my tongue. So his attempts to be silent didn't work. His attempts to press it down, press it down, press it down, and act like it's not even there did not, did not do the t- trick. It wasn't working. And so he says, I spoke with my tongue because the fire was burning inside of me. So that was a failed attempt at silence. So when he speaks, what does he speak? In verses 4 through 6, he speaks of the fleeting nature of life. Life is short. It's passing. It's brief. And it can be hard. He says, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. My life is short like the width of my hand. It's about that, that long, he says. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around as a passing breath, They rush about, heaping up wealth. They go around as a shadow, as a passing breath. They go about, heaping up wealth, without knowing whose it will finally be. So when he speaks, he speaks a lament. And when he laments, he he laments of the fleeting nature of life. Life's like that. It's about that long. Life's short. Life's brief. It's passing. It's fleeting. And, and, he, and he uses a word twice here. The breath, it's like a breath. And then uh, I don't know how your translation, translation handles verse 6. But some translations say maybe in vain they rush about. But the phrase is just as a passing breath. They rush about, heaping up wealth. You notice the word breath twice. It's a word in Hebrew, hevel. It's the word that shows up over and over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And Ecclesiastes is a lament about how short life is. About how fleeting life is. And this word reflects that. Life is havel. That's the Hebrew word. So how do we translate, translate that into English? It's a tough word to translate. You'll get shadow, you'll get vapor, you'll get smoke, that you know how it passes away. Uh, you'll get breath. 
And, and I can't find a, a good English word to capture it. So I've got my own word to capture it. And it's P-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-H-T. Do you know this word? That's what life is. That's what he's saying here. Life's just... It's like a breath. It's like a puff of smoke. It's like a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. Like a breath. That's what he laments. That's what he says. When he finally speaks after his silence, he laments how short life is. How it's just so transitory, so passing. And so when he gets down into the mud of it, you know, he says, so here I am working as hard as I can to make a living, to to gain wealth, to be successful. And at the end of the day, it's just all passing away like a, like, like, you know, like a breath, like a, it's gone. It's like, uh, I don't know if if, uh, I can remember when I was younger, you know, I thought 60 was old. And I thought 70 was really old and 80 was ancient. And now I, here I am, 56, about to turn 57, and 60 looks pretty young. And 70 still looks pretty young. Even 80 looks pretty young. Tells you where I am in life. But when you're young, you think, oh, it just, it just you know, that's old. But now I'm thinking, no, that's not old. 60 surely not old. And, and you think about how we work so hard to, to put away money for in a retirement fund, 401k. And, and, and then he seems to be saying, then we die, and then it's just our heirs are arguing over who gets it. It's like uh, you try four or five days a week to get out in the heat of July and August in Oklahoma to exercise. And, and then in, in January and February, you try to get out when you can and exercise when it's six, 17 or 18 degrees. You put yourself through all that four or five days a week. And for what? So that you live four or five months longer in the nursing home at the end? Now, do, do, do I sound like I've got a bad attitude here? Do I sound a little like a curmudgeon this morning? Well, that's exactly what the psalmist seems to be indicating here. Life's just, it's just off. And then he comes to this rather fundamental realization in 7 through 11. But now, Lord, what do I look for? Wealth, success, There's no guarantees of that. So what do I look for? And here's the central line. My hope is in you. There's doubt, there's despair, there's silence. And yet, right in the center of it all, there's this line. My hope is in you. There's no promise of a long life. There's no promise of success in life, even while you live. So where's my hope? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. Back to that. You know when he tried to be silent? I was silent. I wouldn't open my mouth. For you are the one who's done this to me. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand 
When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a... So there's despair and darkness and lamenting. And then a moment of, but my hope is in you. And then there's despair and lament and he's in the pit again. But right in the center of all this doubt and despair, there's this realization that my hope is in you. The psalmist is dealing with this reality that we all have to deal with. This twin reality of life, this tension that we live in. And here it is. God is faithful and good. And yet, life can be miserable. Now there it is. We might like to ignore the second half of that and just say God is faithful and good and stop there. And that's true. But the other truth that we live with is Life can be miserable. And yet, God is faithful and good. Sort of the agony and ecstasy of life. And nowhere is that captured more clearly than Easter weekend. You want to think about the agony and the ecstasy? You want to think about God is faithful and good and yet life can be miserable? Look at the cross for the agony for the life is miserable, for the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Friday, about noon. And then Sunday morning, the tomb is empty and everything's changed. You can see it all right there. Life can be miserable and yet God is faithful and good. We know it. Life can be regrettably short and unbearably difficult. And at the same time, amazing, amazingly and mysteriously wonderful. It comes and it goes. There's no guarantee of great success, not by the way the world judges success. Life's... And yet our hope is in you, Lord. But he's not finished with his lamenting. This is not going to end with a smiley face. Doesn't end with a now I'm happy all the day. The end is a rather frightful demand. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as an immigrant, a refugee, as all my ancestors were. Think of that image. The the image of the people of God as immigrants and refugees is something that runs all the way through Scripture. I mean, you go back all the way to Abraham. Abraham was an immigrant because God said, leave the place of your citizenship, leave the place of all your connections, and go to a place I'll show you. So he becomes a wanderer. A stranger, a foreigner, we use all types of terms. I think our modern term to reflect what Abraham was is an immigrant. He leaves his home searching for another home. So it's true of Abraham. Think of God's people down in Egypt. They're not, they're not, that's not their homeland. That's not the land that God gave them to live in Egypt in the days before Moses. They're refugees in Egypt. 
Think of how often they're exiled outside of their land in Assyria, in Babylon. In Babylon. The experience of God's people has almost always been the experience of people who are away from home. What about us? First Peter, we did First Peter here a few years ago. The opening verse of First Peter is, we are, we are God's elect exiles. Elect refugees. By verse 17, he's called them another term that refers to immigrant. He uses the term we translate today, immigrant and refugee. That's who we are in this world. Our citizenship is not in this world. We are citizens of heaven. We, do, we sort of have this dual citizenship, but our true citizenship is in heaven. And we await a savior from there. So we have this image that we are immigrants, we are refugees. Here it's that image, but it's just a little bit different. He's not saying I'm an immigrant and I'm a refugee in the world. Here in this lament, he says, I feel like an immigrant with you, Lord. Insecure. Like I don't belong. I know my hope is in you. But at this moment, I feel insecure. And it gets worse. Look away from me. That I may enjoy life again before I depart and I am no more. Turn your face away from me so that I might find some enjoyment in life before it's all over because I know the end is close. I know it's not going to last much longer. So just look away, God, so maybe I can find some joy. Again, that's disorienting because normally the prayer is, Lord, turn your face towards me. I'll pray a blessing over you all at least once in the time I'm here this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. This is what we normally pray. Turn your face towards me. But the psalmist here in this lament says, Don't turn your face towards me. Look away from me. It's about as close to... Take a hike, God, as you'll ever hear anybody say. And, and why is he saying such a thing? Because he's disoriented. Because he's in the pit. Because that's what his emotions are telling him at that moment. So what does he do? He says it to God. Is this a person who's lost faith? No. This is a person who's hanging on to faith in the midst of the pit with the waters rising. What's he doing? He's still praying to God. He's still pouring out his heart honestly to God. And it's a model for the very thing you can do and I can do when we feel like that. It's okay to say to God, God, why is this happening to me? It's okay to say to God, why are you ignoring me? Why are you not listening to my prayers? Why are you so far from me? It's okay to say to God, why didn't you let my mother have a stroke? Why is my child struggling with 
all these things? Why? Why did you let my spouse of 50 years die? We were planning on doing so many things together in retirement. Why? It's not irreverent. It's modeled for us in the Psalms. This is how we should speak to God when that's how we feel. So do we need psalms of thanksgiving and hymns of praise? You bet we do. And I pray for you and for me that that will be the majority of our lives. Those are the songs we want to sing. And now I'm happy all the day. I don't want to overplay it. There are a lot of days I'm really happy. I want to sing praises to God. I want to sing thanksgiving to God the majority of my time. But how about those other times? The way to get to praise and thanksgiving is to authentically pour out your emotions to God even when you're in the pit. Honestly, sincerely, cry out to God. That's what faith looks like in the darkness. And here's the promise. God is with you. Even in the dark. He's been there. He's experienced it in the suffering of his son. There's no experience you can have that God can't say, I know what you're going through. So cry out to God when that's how you feel. Sing the blues. It's the shortest route to praise and thanksgiving. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful for your word, which models for us how we can pray when our life is disoriented, when we feel like we're in the darkness, when we're down in the pit, When we feel like we've lost all hope, we can cry out to you honestly. Even as Jesus did, as he hung on the cross dying for us, and he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, may we cry out honestly to you. And then may you turn our laments to praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We always want to offer you the opportunity to respond to what God might be saying to you. So we're going to sing an invitation. John is going to lead us this morning. Uh, I or someone will be here to pray with you. Would you stand with me now? And if you'd like to come for prayer this morning, you'd like to come for spiritual counsel. Someone will be here to to pray with you and meet with you as we sing. You come. Let's sing together.